Welcome again to Permaculture Tonight. I'm about to interview one of my heroes, Joel Saladin. He is a powerful force in permaculture and in farming, and he represents a family working together. Generational farming. It's so exciting. Can't wait to talk to him. I'm dialing here. Here we go. I'm a huge fan. It is such a delight to have you on. Um, I, in my hands, I'm holding the, the salad and semester, and I just finished um, your audiobook version of The Marvelous Pigness of Pigs. Ah, okay. So, um, so you, are you doing like a book tour for that book right now? Because I know that everyone's talking about it. Oh, well, I, I, I uh, appreciate that. Um, actually, what I, they, they, there are things coming up. I'll tell you, um, fascinating thing. They, they sent out 150 galleys to 150 uh, prominent pastors around the country and could not get a single one of them to endorse it. What? And, and, and the, the bottom line was, that they were afraid of their congregation. You know, what What do you do? What do you do? You're a pastor and you endorse it or, or you put a positive blurb on the cover and your head elder is a Tyson chicken farmer or, you know, or his kids work or, you know, he's a executive at Monsanto. Um, so anyway, it's, it's been, it's been very, very interesting. Um, <laughs> you know, I have I have a similar deal with my area. I'm I'm a Latter Day Saint, and we're in the Central Valley of California, and many of the members okay. are chemical farmers, and you yeah. know they're good people, and none yeah. of these people yeah. we're saying are bad people, but you know they oh. just aren't seeing something that's pretty obvious, and if they saw it from a in a different context, like you always talk about, you know, if that land was your daughter. You would not allow this to be happening. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. It, it, it's like it's like I tell people again. You know, yeah, we're in a very conservative area here. Uh, wonderful salt of the earth farmers, great people. I say I would trust them with my grandchildren. I would trust them with my bank account, but I don't trust them with land or food. And uh, and that's you know that's unfortunate, but that's the way it is. So yeah, so you you can appreciate. Um, you know, uh, where we are. So, so what we've been doing with the book so far is a lot of radio interviews and things like that. And, um, and there, there's, there's going to be some stuff come down the road, I'm sure. Uh, but uh, what they're saying is that this, uh, this is an incubation book. It's a book that, that comes and it, and, it, and it builds slowly as people realize they've never read anything like this before. <laughs> and and it, 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 it connects dots. And uh, what's interesting is we're almost getting more positive feedback from the non-faith community than we are from the faith community. Oh, that's and, so good. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, um, so anyway, we'll see. I mean, uh, it is. But no, I'm, I'm not. Uh, I'm not out on a book tour right now. Okay. <laughs> but but, I, but I am. I'm doing a lot of uh, a lot of radio. Uh, you know, radio interviews, short, you know, 15, 20-minute uh, 
even 10-minute you know, radio segments, which are great. And uh, you know, we'll we'll see we'll see where it goes. It's it's um, it's not it's not uh, blockbuster selling. It's not terrible selling. It's just kind of middle of the road uh, going. And um, right now, the you know the, the publishing team is happy and. So you know, we'll see we'll see where it goes. But I, I appreciate you uh, listening to it and uh, trust that you enjoyed it. I did. I really did. And you know, it served me in my own life uh, better than uh, my own, you know, understanding of things for a while has. Uh, especially with, like I was talking about, you know, other church members. Um, what? Ha- so there's this family that is a old school ranching family. They're doing some seriously things. They're doing things seriously right in some ways, but in other ways they're spraying Roundup and they're you know they're cutting trees on the ridge and you know they're doing right, things right. that you know are sending red flags in my eyes, right? And uh-huh. I just you know mentioned a few of the scriptures that you mentioned in in a row. And I was like, and you know the darndest thing. And then I just related it to your farm. And it, I just saw all these connections kind of be made in this person who's, I mean, they're, they're out there spraying all the time. They're, they're, they, have, they have cattle in the family still. And, and it was, there was a moment, and I knew that the seed had gotten into the good soil. And I was like, oh, oh. This is uh-huh. it, uh-huh. you know, and yeah. and for me, yeah. it's it's really hard. Uh, for me, I, I I see the I see the linkages between being a good steward of the land and being a permaculturist. I see permaculture as this lens that we use, um, not uh-huh. really um, a set regiment or standards or anything like that. Um, uh-huh. And so for me, uh, I, I saw them as just linking right up. But for a lot of people, you know, they see them as not themselves. They don't see themselves in permaculture. Rather than they, right. you know, and I, I feel like your farm and your point of view is so powerful because for those people, it's that that bridge and they go, oh, oh, yeah, of course. Yes, that makes sense. Why would you feed a herbivore to a herbivore? You yeah, know? yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. But but right. as soon as they get into you know a Fresno State Ag class and they're talking about how <laughs> you if you just you know reduce it down to the protein and you isolate it and it's just protein it's just this molecule yeah. you know and yeah. and, and right. they sound so reasonable too but that that's just not it at all I mean there are yeah. laws and there are things and they know this and that's what's so cool about your book is there are things that you know I've read. There are things that I just was plowing through probably because I was reading it, thinking thinking in different contexts, right? Thinking spiritually. And when you right. put it in that context, it kind of lit up. And uh-huh. and it was exciting. I, I seriously found the book exciting. And regardless, and I think that what you're talking about when you're talking about outside of the choir, reaching uh, people who are not religious with the book, you write it in an inviting way. And even if you're not a believer per se this book is rooted in the history of one of the most influential peoples on earth and so their agricultural practices which are in there um, 
are fascinating to study and to understand. And, you know, most of our heritage, most of our agricultural practices are rooted in all these uh, major faiths. Uh, so yes, yes. regardless of what you feel, I think this is a worthwhile book, especially on Audible, because you read it. Uh, and you do such yeah. a good job of that. Well, thank you. It's, uh, yeah, I, I can tell you it's a, it's a bit of an arduous thing, but, uh, but, but everybody, everybody loves that it's, you know, that it's my voice and not some, you know, Hollywood celebrity or whatever. So, so I was, uh, so thinking about the marvelous pigness of pig, I dove right into the salad and semester and it, I didn't. I didn't sit through three days of it. I spread it out over two weeks, uh, and I was reviewing it for Permaculture Magazine North America. And in it, you refer to pigs, and so and I'm. I've got pigs on my brain now, and you refer to that. You might do a separate book or DVD on just pigs, and so you talk about the marvelous pigness of pigs in a spiritual context. And then you reference it in the salad and semester. So I'm all, I'm up. My interest is peaked. Is the next book going to be about pigs? <laughs> uh, no, actually, uh, actually, the next book, which is, you know, which is um, in process right now, because uh, I'm a, I'm a hopeless addicted writer, you know. Um, the, the next book is going to be. I think I'm working with the title. You can farm 2.0. Um, you know, I did a, I, I did, you can, you can farm has by far and away been our, you know, our, our bestseller. Uh, and next year it'll be 20 years old. It's still very, very current. Um, but we have, we've learned a lot of things in 20 years. And so, um, so my next, I've got two chapters, uh, uh, written and, uh, it's going to be, it's going to be all the refinement and thinking and practice that we've developed in, in the last 20 years. Uh, no, no repetition really from You Can Farm, which will be the still the you know the foundation. But uh, You Can Farm 2.0. Uh, there's a, there's a bit of a you know you got to nuance that a little bit. You Can Farm 2, or You Can Farm 2.0, or You Can Farm 2.0. You know you got to draw it out and and, and it's. Uh, <laughs> Create, create a nuance there. Um, so that that'll be the next one. But yeah, uh, uh, Lord willing, there will be a, there will be a pig one sometime in the future. We still, you know, we've always been doing pigs really seriously uh, for oh uh, maybe fifteen years. So you know, I'd like to have another three or four years under my belt uh, before we actually uh, present. What we what we think we know, mm. and uh, so, yeah. So yeah, I I look I look for one uh, coming, but it it won't be it won't be the next one. Wow, that's awesome. Well, I will be here waiting for that, and I hope I, I hope you do something like the salad and semester where you spend time giving information and then answering questions and then having the book accompaniment because. That really helped me because I to pause and to remember and to go wait 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 I got to go back and then to relearn it with the new question in mind it really really helped. Uh, have you thought about doing like a series of of courses 
because it felt to me that you were just scratching the surface in a lot of the areas because you know so much. Not because it was scratching the surface from my perspective as I watched. Because when I was watching, right. I was learning every second. It was amazing. But I could tell that, that you were scratching the surface in some areas and you were like, and we can, all right, I'll, I wasn't going to get into that, but I'll answer that. And some of the questions, and it was like, oh, okay, wow, so there's more. You know? mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, you're exactly right. Uh, I mean, you know, I've written 10 books. That's a lot of words. Um, and, and yet I find that when I get into something, I, I there's... There's tons of stuff I didn't put in the books yet. Even even with you know ten books of well, goodness, like whatever it is, you know, three thousand pages of stuff. Um, that's a lot of words. I mean, that's that's almost approaching. You know, that that's almost uh, a quarter of the size of Obamacare, right? Yeah. So you, know, <laughs> <laughs> you, you would think that uh, that that ought to you know approach solving everything. Um, yeah, there, there, there is a lot, and you're right. Uh, even, even there, in such a expanded format, uh, there was a lot. So, yeah, uh, of course, you know, there's a lot of good things that you can do. Um, just have to decide what you like best. Mm -hmm. And, and I'll tell you, I, I've determined that I, I don't like, uh, I don't like. Uh, studio. I don't like studio work where you set up a camera and you do a lesson or you teach or you do a, some sort of a uh, whatever, you know, video video course. Um, I, I've just found that, that I, I, I like live audiences because they energize me and I enjoy the drama and the theater and, you know, storytelling and all that. Um, the live presentation thing, um, but I really, really enjoy writing, and uh, and I think partly because uh, partly because it's it's something that can live for a long time. I mean, a book, you know, it can it can get dusty on a shelf, but it's there. And uh, this electronic stuff, you know, I'm old enough to have been through everything from you know real to real. Uh, scotch tape splice uh, tape recording to eight track tape to cassette tape to DVD to now you know uh, whatever digital streaming and um, and there's a there's a there's a sense of permanency with a book I, I just like the sense of permanency with it that it's there it's there for posterity uh, even if it's not in print anymore you know you dust it off and, and find it. Uh, it always works. It doesn't take a techno to figure out how to make it work. Uh, it, you know, it, 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 when the power goes off, you can still read it. You know, you can... <laughs> so for, for me, I've, I've just really gravitated to books, and I've got, I don't know what, eight, nine titles dancing around my head. I wanna, I'm, I'm four chapters in the novel, my first fiction that I've tried. Um, and I'm struggling with that some, but but uh, hopefully it'll it'll come about. Anyway, I I really just enjoy books. I love writing. That's what I went to school for, 
And then I became a teacher, and I was shocked at the fact that kids couldn't write and couldn't listen, because I feel like those two are very related. Because uh, if you're uh -huh. good at reading, you're good at listening to that voice that reads to you. And, and then uh -huh. when you write, you really listen to that voice again. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So, I, 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 I've always, always written. I was a musician, and then I wrote science fiction, and then it was so funny. I was teaching music, and I just felt I needed to create something to teach with, and I created a, a visual guitar music theory book, and then I suddenly caught this teaching bug, and I just kind of, all my education and all my experience kind of took a left turn and I became much more academic. <laughs> but yeah, it all starts with writing. I really think it all starts with writing. So speaking of writing, what do you think is the greatest obstacle to pushing carbon farming and bio, you know, all these new ways, like Elaine Ingham has biological farming. Uh, we have this new definition of carbon farming, which is what you're doing. And I see what you're doing is permaculture farming too. Um, so is it regenerative education? Do people know that these need to know that these things exist? Or do you think it's really like reading comprehension? People can't understand it, and so they feel like it's cool but can't really do it. Or something That's else. That's such a great question. I, I, think, I think we live – this is interesting. Um, I, I'm toying with a kind of, of new idea. I'll just try it out on you. Um, that, that we've become a culture of coaches. Hmm. That the that people, for, for whatever reason, I mean, we could go into a million different nuances, but perhaps part of it is because we don't live real. You know, our, our as children, we don't we don't chop wood, we don't weed the bean patch, we don't churn butter, we don't milk the cow, and so. When we live in a fantasy world where food comes in the supermarket, and and by the way, I'm brainstorming here. I'm, this is a relatively new kind of concept, mm -hmm. and so just bear with me if I'm if I if it doesn't all make coherence. But that, that, that when when you begin living in this kind of in this kind of fantasy existence, where where you don't get water from the spring. You open your tap, and the utility delivers it to your house under pressure. You know, from who knows where, how, who knows how. Uh, the point is that we have become very um, disembodied from a visceral understanding of the very foundations of existence, and and as that happens. I think there is an actual disempowerment. There is a there is an emotional, physical, uh, spiritual disempowerment of of doing real things. And and so what happens is you gravitate toward unreal things. You know, uh, Dilbert Cubicle. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, moving around electronic inventory. Okay, and. Um, and so, so we, so part of the manifestation of this is, is the coaching movement. We now have wellness coaches, nutrition coaches, uh, 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 you know, physical, whatever, uh, you know, fitness uh, coaches. Uh, uh, 
We've got life coaches, psychology coaches. I mean, when you look at the number of people who make their living now being coaches and the number of people who are who, who feel like they can't do anything unless they have a coach, it, it, it's powerful. I mean, it's, it's amazing. Hmm. Um, and, and so, so I, I think, I think that, um, that the, that one of the problems in making, I'll just say, our movement move forward uh, or expand, um, is, is this, this complete cultural breakdown of willingness to take risk willingness to uh, to be a heretic to be different um, we've, we've got we've got so much pressure to be in consensus that if you dare be in consensus you think you're either a bigot or a racial racial or uncharitable or uh, whatever you know a million different things and and so there's there's a there's a huge um, there's a huge hurdle here of of enabling and all that that enabling me to to pursue my passion to pursue my dream to pursue to pursue something that you know mom and dad don't think is worthwhile whatever I mean uh, there, there's a million different nuances of this uh, pursuit of a you know, of of a personally affirming uh, trajectory, and that trajectory, uh, I think, has been chopped off for many people. Um, and and maybe this is not new. Maybe you know, Henry David Thoreau said, you know, the mass of humanity lives in quiet desperation. Um, and I mean, that was <laughs> that was in eighteen hundred. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but I don't know if he was talking about desperation. I don't know all the context of that, but I feel like today we're we're not even desperate anymore. We're we're just content to be drifting and unaffirmed. So we're not we're not discontent as much as we are simply um, we we've given up. And, yeah. and and when you've given up, then then you need then you need a coach to get you up off the bench and get you going again because. Because you can't pull yourself up by your own bootstraps, and so that's just a lot of thoughts. But but when you ask about where where's the hurdle, where's the you know what's the obstacle uh, that we're dealing with, um, that that's what I'm sensing is one of our is, is an obstacle. That's interesting from a neurological perspective. Um, as they develop, if they're not using those pathways, those brain pathways, those neurons stimulating that they're actually physically out there doing stuff, accomplishing things that are measurable, that are quantifiable, uh, and that are directly uh, linked in their minds and that they can prove and share uh, to their work. I don't think that actually, I think that leads to, if we just watch simulations our whole life and then we're called upon to act, uh, it's going to be hard because we're like, ah, let me... Let me go watch a simulation on this. Hold on. You know, and it's because they have yeah. no experience and they also have no adaptability, which is a different skill set. And so there's life experience, there's hands-on experience, and then there's the adaptability component. 
So you can be like really strict, give kids a hands-on in, instruction, and some of those kids are going to be rote learners, and they're, they're going to be stuck. So there's this adaptability component, um, and I feel like it's schooling. They want an authority figure. They want an expert. And even in the, uh, in the, the naysayers, the doubters, they're really looking for someone who's perfect, which I find like uh, as a, uh, a person um, that believes um, in Christ, um, I find this fascinating because everyone's, everyone's biggest critique online is that you're not perfect. And it's like, whoa, man, <laughs> you're like more religious than me almost, you know, in your own way. They're like, oh, you're not perfect because you do this. Um, and it's, it, you know, and it's like this huge obstacle. And I, and I feel like that's just them doing a knee-jerk reaction, uh, going back to that expert, looking for an expert vetted by the government, perhaps. So, yeah. speaking of government, see, I've got all these linkages. This is working out great. So, speaking of government, are you going, because you live so close, are you going to consider running for office ever? Oh, 
well, yeah. that argument doesn't, that last one doesn't work anymore. We have two unelectables who are <laughs> in line to be elected. That's true. That's true. You don't have to be electable anymore, do you? No. In fact, That's I mean, hilarious. I, I, I truly believe that it's a combination of the fact that you have agrarian democratic values, Thomas Jefferson-like yeah. values, and you are genuine, yeah. and you don't care if people disagree with you. And that fearlessness is gone from American politics. My mom was a politician, actually. Uh, she was a vice minority uh, leader in the House of Representatives in Connecticut. Um, she was a representative oh. of the state for 16 years. So... There are people who are going into these situations and trying to make a difference, and man, they they they're getting you know their gears burned. But <laughs> but we really need to find someone to go in there and to knock some of these gears out and to clear the air and to to you know chop and drop in the permaculture term or compost that or to drive some secession through. Um, because we need, because we need some, we need some, uh, some free range, some free room for American entrepreneurism to take root. Because as of right now, we're so cluttered with this government bureaucracy that there's no place to plant seeds and there's no, we we need to provide some disturbance in order to plant new seeds. We need to find some dope, really. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I I couldn't I couldn't agree with you more. And um, and we'll we'll see what the future holds. But I I don't I don't anticipate it by any means. I just uh, I mean even I, I've even thought of of running for you know for a local just you know just put your figure in the water you know to run something local for supervisors or some little you know tiny benign thing. But uh, you know, I mean, you, you, you get you get crucified. I mean, the day the day oh, yeah. that I say, the day that I say, uh, well, we don't need a bunch more uh, schools. We need better education and fewer schools. So you know, like, like a permaculturalist would say, we need more forests and fewer trees. Right. <laughs> uh, uh, we, we we need fewer schools and better education. But I mean, the but the the parents that are you know. Um, Living on Burger King and, and Hot Pockets, they, they they go ballistic over a statement like that. Um, so anyway, I, you know, uh, I, I can tell you this: um, I have been asked to run by socialists, greenies, Democrats, Republicans, constitutionalists, and libertarians. So. <laughs> That sounds great to me. It sounds like the kind of the disturbance we need. So um, I want to teach my son how to holistic uh, do, do holistic management with cattle. And you mentioned in the Saladin semester that you had someone doing it with just a dairy cow on a tether. Okay. And I was wondering what do you think the ideal, because you want a herd. You don't want just one cow, really. You want to use electric fence. Right. Uh, what's the right. minimum size that an educational experience would give the full palette of understanding to uh, a 10-year-old, 12-year-old, 
14-year-old uh, child who wants to learn how to do this? Is it, is it a herd of 10, 15, or 20? And is it uh, going on like uh, an eighth or a quarter of an acre, uh, roughly? You know, those kind of things. Yeah. Well, I think, I think a herd of two is, is plenty. Um, all you have to do is see the magic of pruning and regrowth. Uh, I, I was just over with a couple of our interns on one of the rent farms, and we've just, we've just leased the acreage next to it, so adjacent, I mean, across the fence. And interestingly, this, this uh, field across the fence that's owned by another guy um, has not had, it, it's not had an animal on it essentially in whatever, you know, 15 years. Bush hogs it once a year just to keep it open um, and, and not forest back, but but it you know it and and it hasn't currently it has been grazed or mowed since last year. We've just leased it, so in fact, this morning I finished putting in the water line and like a fence to start, and and the herd moved over there moving over this afternoon. So uh, we're grazing it through. What's interesting is on the other side of the fence, so the thing I mean, all is divided is by a by a boundary fence. That's all. Same landscape, same soil, same everything. Uh, where we've been grazed, we've gone through, we've grazed three times on the farm, you know, on the Jason place. We've grazed three times, and when you walk in there, it's much thicker. It's full of clover. The other place has no clover on it. Um, it, it it's got way, way more biomass, even though it's been grazed three times, uh, twice, and we're getting ready in the next uh, 10 days, we'll be grazing it for the third time this season. The other place has not been grazed once or most since last fall. It does not have nearly the quantity nor quality nor diversity of biomass as across, across the fence, literally eight inches away, that has already been grazed twice to get ready for the third third grade. And it, it's just been a real epiphany for these young people when it's when when you act, when you see that the pruning or you can call it disturbance, um, disruption of, of, of grazing, doing it right, that it actually stimulates total biomass production, that it doesn't you graze it today, okay, so they've they, they mowed it down, they've eaten it down, but you come back in 50 days, and it's, it's as good or better than it was 50 days ago, and if you didn't do anything at all, there wouldn't be, it would only do it one time, and that's it for the season, and that's, that, and that can be absolutely uh, seen and enjoyed. For all of its benefits and, and, and you know an ecological function, with two cows, two sheep, two you know you always want to have two. You don't want to have one, mm -hmm. but but you have, but you have two just for company. And yes, you're right. You would you know if you had if you had for example 100 cow day grass, two cows on 100 cow day grass would get a fiftieth of an acre a day. Which a fiftieth of an acre, if an acre is roughly five thousand square feet, I know that's a little big, but body easier to do that in your head. Four thousand eight hundred or forty-eight thousand, whatever it is. Um, so, so five thousand divided by uh, 
for the 10 by 10. a yard, so that's roughly three feet, so it would be yard. about 300 so square feet. 100 square yards. 30. So, so imagine something 10 yards by 10 yards, so 30 feet by 30 feet, okay? That would be for your two cows for a day. And, and, and absolutely, if you did that, you would see all the benefits, all the practice, uh, everything. I mean, you, you wouldn't see everything because two, two cows do not a mob make, and, and I get that. But you, but you can see, you can get see seventy five, eighty percent of it, and and uh, that you know, uh, that's way more than half a loaf. <laughs> right, and so that's a great way to start younger children. Um, yeah, to yeah. get used to the idea, to get used to shifting them, using just rolling yeah. back the fence, and then. Yeah. When they're like 15, 16, they really want to see the mob grazing. What would you say is the smallest mob that a mob graze makes? Well, there are there are tipping points. There are tipping points. One tipping point is a hundred. That's kind of your your that's kind of your next great big tipping point. At a hundred animals, the herd becomes a mob, not a group of individuals. Wow. Now, you know, we could argue we could argue whether it's ninety five or hundred and five, whatever, but I can tell you based on my experience and the experience of many, many, many others, that there's something magic that happens when you get a hundred heads. That that then it becomes an organism. It's like a big amoeba, you know, that, that's moving across the landscape as opposed to fifty individuals. And then and then there's another tipping point at a thousand. Uh, now the biggest herd we've ever run is about 750. That's a big herd, and and I can tell you that there is a a completely different social social organismal type of of, of uh, relationship there, uh, demeanor of the group when it's that many compared to uh, you know a, a 40 a 40 individual group. Uh, big big difference, and and they they just. Uh, they, they're all uh, standing there. You come up, and instead of one looking at you and one looking away, if one looks at you, they all look at you. If one looks away, they all look away. It, it's quite, it's quite profound. Anybody's never, you know, never done it can scarcely appreciate the nuance of difference that happens as this, as this group becomes a mob or, you know, a single organism. And then and then there's another point at 3,000, and then the people that I respect say after 3,000, there's, 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 no there's no other tipping point. That at 3,000, you become as, as, um, as organismal, uh, I don't think that's a word, but you become as much an organism, a, a mob, uh, and all the benefits of it, all the nuances of it, 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 it goes in. You know, you can go to whoever, 10,000, 20,000, whatever. Um, and there aren't very many domestic livestock herds in the world of 3,000 heads. Uh, the biggest ones I know of are in South Africa, 
with a guy named Ian Mitchell Hands. He's running close to 3,000. Those are probably the largest domestic herds in the world, and uh, it's it's quite profound. He does it with he does it with uh, with nomad, um, and and it's quite it's quite amazing. All right, so we're running out of time. Last question again <laughs> was if if you had something for uh, if you had any advice for people or farmers uh, to do today, what would it be? to read is um, uh, something by either Malcolm Gladwell or uh, uh, maybe maybe uh, Stephen Covey, uh, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, um, uh, Dale Carnegie, How to Make Friends and Influence People, How to Win Friends and Influence People, read a business book. I, I, think, I think Hermes uh, typically are weak on business. In fact, I think there's a lot of um, angst in the Permian community, you know, about things like profit and and business talk. And as you know, I don't shy away from that kind of thing. I think I think I think it's the lifeblood of sustainability. You know, if you if you aren't actually paying your bills, making a profit, being able to take the take the spouse out to a dinner once in a while, you know, you probably won't be in business long, even if it's ecologically wonderful. And so um, the, the economics has to go along with all the other, you know, ecology of it. And I think that uh, that in general, um, Permies shy away for altruistic and philosophical reasons from, uh, from, from business speak. And so I would advise them to read, you know, some of the good, good uh, business books and get some, um, Absolutely, and there is rumblings of a conference targeting that specifically, and I hope that you know that that spreads, and I hope to participate in spreading the entrepreneurism and the the doing it. I have DIY tattooed on my arm from my when I was my younger uh, indiscretionary days, um, but I truly believe that your example of doing it yourself pulling yourself up by your bootstraps, involving your family, your community, building yourself up, and then going out into the world and sharing those successes with humility um, is, is the way yeah. forward. And uh, I really appreciate you, you taking the time to talk with me and talk with us and share so much, Joel. Sure. Well, you're welcome, and I thank you for your interest and for, uh, for keeping putting the message out there. Uh, we need a lot of messengers. Absolutely. So it's, it's, a good, it's a good thing. Yes. All right. Well, I'll keep reading and I'll keep watching and uh, keep on doing the good thing you're doing. Okay. Thank you very much. Man. All right. You take care. You too. Thank you. Have a wonderful day. Bye. You too. All right. Bye. Bye. That was amazing. I've been studying Joel Saladin's work in depth and reading his books for the past six months. On top of doing all the permaculture studying stuff, I feel like he is a wonderful edge of permaculture that uh, touches on other things. And it was awesome to have him come on and you know talk about his faith, talk about his farming, talk about his writing, talk about you know what he foresees for the future. 
And it was really, really special. And I hope that other people hear it. I hope that you share it with other people. And I hope you go out in your own life and start holistically managing things and start managing your land the way Joel does. And I hope that you have a wonderful week. From Permaculture Tonight, have a great one.